0: Welcome to the Stream and Allison and Partners Agency podcast. I'm your host, Ali Warshavski. And I'm on Clark. And today on the podcast we're joined by lisa rosenberg partner and president of consumer brands at allison and partners she just got back from can lions festival the world's largest festival and awards for creative and marketing lisa we're so excited here to pick your brain on what goes on there and learn a little bit about the awards that allison and partners took home welcome to the podcast thanks allie excited to be here
1: Lisa, so much great information comes out of Canada. Sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming for those of us who weren't there. But I think from your perspective, sifting through everything, what were some of the biggest takeaways you had from the time you spent there?
2: It is overwhelming, even for people who are on the ground. There is so much um, that goes on at Can, And for those people who haven't been there, um, between the content um, that's put on by the actual festival itself to content brands put out um, to activations and events, it's hard to take it all in it's hard to synthesize and boil you know, five days of a festival where you only actually are able to make it to a fraction of what goes on. So what what I've tried to do is think through some of the trends that really stood out to me. Um, It's not an inclusive list. I actually have a longer list, but I think there was an increasing amount of conversation around inclusivity um, and the creation of inclusive content and representation. Um, In fact, I was on a panel, Um, that was sponsored by the World Women Foundation and Group Black um, that was all about increasing equity in our industry um, and how we can do that through the campaigns we bring to life. Um, And one of the examples actually that I shared was the work that we had just done um, with Kimpton on their Global Creator Collective, which was a global influencer program that looked at bringing together a group of influencers who are really more representative Of What real people are like, one of the things we heard from consumers is that travel content all looks the same. And, you know, basically beautiful women drinking an Aperol spritz and is not truly reflective of what real people look like and people were were craving content in the travel space that was more reflective and relatable to them. And that's what we set out to do with the creation of this um, collective. And it was a group of influencers from around the world who really set out to create content that was more authentic, more representative of what people look like and feel like, so that people could connect with it in a a real way. And it really brought um, Kimpton's sort of brand ethos of Stay Human to life. And, you know, sort of following this first initiative, the brand made a commitment to, to, you know, to only put out content that's equitable and a better representation of what the world looks like today.
1: Yeah, that's great. I, I actually had a chance to you know, go to London for that collective event and capture some of it. And it really was really inspirational, frankly, to be on the ground with some of those creators, particularly there was one in a wheelchair and, and just her talking about yes, this line that I just don't see people who look like me in aspirational travel content. That's what I'm trying to change. So I think this can seem like big, lofty and important goals, but it also can be so highly personal for people, which I think maybe what makes this type of content so powerful is the different levels you can connect on. So it's great to hear that was a big takeaway from the festival.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and a couple of um, a couple of campaigns that I, I wanted to share that I saw at Cam that I think are really reflective of this trend, you know, I'll start with Apple. Um, made a campaign called The Greatest. It's a really moving and beautiful film. The cinematography was was rich and grounded and, and sort of fundamentally human at its core. And Every frame of the film highlighted the individuality of the person that was being featured, as well as how they interfaced with the tech. And it just did a a really brilliant job of showcasing the product's accessibility features through human storytelling. So it was very, very powerful. It was shortlisted for Titanium. It won a bunch of awards. It was just a really moving piece of content that looked at humanizing the differences amongst you know people today. Sort of continuing in that vein, there was there was a, a session that I went to from a Peruvian brand. It was all about a creation of a product line. Um, and AliCorp is is sort of a a small player when you think about the behemoths in personal care and hair care. When you look at Procter and Gamble and you look at Unilever. And they were introducing a new hair care line from scratch. Um, they partnered with IDEO to create this product. And at the very core were Peruvian women. They were at the heart of the product design and all of its marketing. Um, the product was actually formulated using local ingredients. The ads featured Peruvian women. Um, and and the products were designed to actually solve the various climate challenges of Peru. And while Peru might be a small country, um, I guess the climate is quite varied. So depending upon where you are in the country, you might be suffering from, you know, humidity and result in frizzy hair, or it might be a dry part of the country where your hair is flyaway. So everything was very representative of the people who the products were designed for. And it was incredibly successful. They actually, if I'm remembering the stats correctly, um, I think they hit their three-year goal in the first month. So that was how sort of like um, you know David could take on the Goliath
0: within the hair care industry. Now I really want to try the one that removes frizz too. That's so <laughs> interesting. So you definitely say that uh, one of the trends was being inclusive and and representing all types of cultures. What other trends did you see there?
2: I think a second trend that is really important was proving the ROI of purpose. Now, purpose has been something that's been talked about at Cannes for a number of years. It's been been talked about in our industry um, over and over, but there was a lot more scrutiny on whether purpose-based work actually drove real results for brands. In fact, I think um, many of the judges were, were applying that lens or that filter when they were evaluating work. Um, for a lion to see whether it was sort of purpose for purposes sake or whether it had a business impact um, and and actually move the brand forward. And I think um, as sort of part of that conversation, there was um, a good amount of emphasis on the importance of brands being prepared to sort of take a stand on an issue, if they're going to support an issue, that they need to be prepared and willing to defend that position if they're if they face a groundswell of negative backlash. And I think that's really important. You know, the notion of purpose washing is still very much alive. And there was um, a lot of push for brands to really own and commit to the purposes they were, you know, they were getting behind. And I think the campaigns that wound up being shortlisted really balance the emotional impact that comes with doing purpose-based work with business results. And I think what we saw is those did, you know, those did fundamentally better.
1: And it's interesting. Did you feel obviously the the economy is sort of uncertain right now right everyone has had this interesting start to the year did you feel like there was chatter there was there more emphasis to your roi point uh, whether it's those kind of campaigns or campaigns in general that you know this sort of level of tracking and data that's associated with with marketing campaigns needs to pencil out for everybody
2: you always hear about the roi of a campaign or the impact of a campaign in the past purpose work that was celebrated at can really felt like You know, work that, um, work that made an impact on society and was just fundamentally good at its core was enough. And now I think what we're seeing, particularly when it's brand work versus like not profit, not for profit work, you know, it's got to do something for the brand. It's got to move the business forward and, and it has to be fundamentally tied to what your brand is about, who the brand is at its core. Um, and we saw that in, you know, an, in other things at, at Cantu there wasn't that much talk about a recession or the economy as you might have expected and, and again, this is representative of the entire world. People come from from everywhere to can. But I do think the notion of, of business results um, was a little bit more front and center than perhaps it had been in the past. One of the other things that I saw that I thought was was really fun that I think you know is definitely. Um, the start of of a trend, if you will, is, is this notion of laughter and having fun being a good thing. I went to a great session about Barbie. So it's getting a lot of publicity in a lot of places, but at its very core, it is going like over the top into who Barbie is. There was a run on the pink paint um when they built the set for the film and it's designed to be fun and to make people feel good and so i i i think there is this this desire to bring laughter and a sense of fun back there was a i went to a great session that was led by andrew robertson who's the ceo of bbdo and um, he actually had an opening slide that i thought was really funny he used the acronym LMFAO, but he gave it a new meaning laughter means financial achievements optimized and that got a real chuckle from the audience, and he talked a lot about how humor works, you know, in many unlikely categories, Um, he actually showed a piece of work, um, I don't know if you guys remember this but post pandemic. Extra Gum put out a really fun film when the pandemic was over for the first time, sort of everyone breaking free and like, um, you know, racing back into office buildings that were covered with vines that had grown. And, and it, was just, it was just really funny. Um, and so, you know, examples of humor working in places where you might not think it would. There was an image that he had showed that I had seen before, and it was um, an ad on the side of a hearse. That base and the her, you know, it was an ad for a funeral home, but the the copy was don't get vaccinated. So it was implied don't get vaccinated, you're going to wind up in a hearse. And so, really, really powerful way to to make your point. And I think humor does work that way. And there was a lot, there was a lot of focus, of course, on Gen Z. Um, And they talked about in, in many sessions how important laughter is, particularly to that cohort. Um, and in fact, there were some stats that were shared. 76% of Gen Z wants to see committed content on TikTok, including from brands. And that 94% mm. of Gen Z is more likely to remember funny ads. And that is more than any other generation. Mm. Uh, so I think this whole notion of laughter and being playful and having fun is is particularly important. And I know we just talked about purpose. So I thought there was a great Quote that ended this particular session, which really puts to me a new spin on purpose, and I'm going to read it because I want to get it correct. But um, Andrew said, "If brands are looking to make the world a better place, we could do a lot worse than making people laugh," and I thought that was a, you know, particularly poignant point to make.
1: Oh, it's it's great and inspiring.
0: I love that. I would love to see more humor. I mean, I, when the Super Bowl ads were those funny, funny ones from when I was, I could remember the ones from when I was 12. Those are the ones that resonate with me more. And so I hope we get to see more of that in the future. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'm glad you mentioned Gen Z, Lisa, because that's, that's obviously been an area where you've led the charge for a lot of us at the agency in terms of sort of educating and working with that group, as well as. This idea of cultural relevance—I want to make sure we ask you about that because that's another area where I think you've really done some creative things, both for us, but always have your finger on what that pulse is and what that means. So, talk to us about that. How did that come up, at Cam? What are you seeing there uh, in terms of the importance for brands?
2: You know, cultural relevance is 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 very, very important for brands. It's how audience connects with them. The more culturally relevant you are, the better that connection. There was a really interesting conversation that took place at Cannes about sort of cultural relevance versus what I would call niche relevance. Um, and this notion of, you know, something could be incredibly relevant to a small group of people and no one else might know anything about it. You know, is that cultural relevance? And I would actually argue, no, nope. I think that's relevance to a particular audience. And I think when we talk about, you know, cultural relevance, it is about being that connective tissue where, like, I could have a conversation with my grandmother and she, and, you know, she would understand what I was talking about. And I can have that same conversation, you know, with my son. Um, and so it, it's sort of cross-generational because it has permeated pop culture, you know that that is a nuance that that can't be overlooked. You know, when we talk about what cultural relevance means for brands, it's really about brands being able to move quickly, what I like to call the speed of culture, and react to things that are that are current and trending, things that are, you know, happening in the news. Um, as a way to connect with your audience and as a way to drive brand love. And I, and I thought I would share an example. And this is some work that we did that I'm very, very proud of. It won three lines this year, including a titanium. And it's our work for Budweiser around World Cup. The campaign is called Bring Home the Bud." And this was actually a campaign that basically came together in just a matter of of days when the Qatari government banned beer sales from the stadiums. And we had to pivot from the program that we had been working on for the last 18 months, two years, to to do something that would break through. And it started with a tweet that came from the brand, well, this is awkward, dot, dot, dot. Um, And then wound up being about a rallying cry. For the teams and the fans and the countries who are participating in World Cup, who was going to take home all the bud? Who was going to, you know, the band bud that was sitting in a warehouse in Qatar, who was going to take home the bud? And that became, you know, a rallying cry. And then obviously Argentina won the World Cup and celebrated for weeks um, and more than a million, you know, free Budweiser's were given away to Argentinians to celebrate, you know, their monumental win and just a great example of being culturally relevant, jumping in on something that's happening in real time and connecting with consumers in a way to make them care.
1: That's great. And it's, it's interesting, right? You, you mentioned these two interesting points, right? one is the need to, to prove sort of ROI and make sure that what you're doing really resonates for the business. And there is these trends toward things that are, say, they seem squishier, like what's funnier, what's what's relevant. And I imagine part of the challenge for marketers is how do you combine those two things? How do you feel like there's data and certainty in these things that seem sort of fleeting or hard to measure? And and that's one of the things I know you've thought about, we talked about with some of the the offerings we're doing, work we're doing with clients. Talk about that again. How How do marketers use information and data to inform these decisions, to reach these areas they know are so important right now?
2: Absolutely. You know, it's funny, a couple of um, years ago, I saw the conversation shifting from being all about purpose and starting to be about cultural relevance, and that became a bit of a buzz. Or a buzzword. Um, and, and a lot of brands were starting to talk about like their desire to be culturally relevant, but it was squishy. And oh, I think I'm relevant. I think this is breaking through. And what we found was there was really no way to measure whether or not your brand was culturally relevant. And so what we set out to do was to create a product um, that we call brandgeist IQ or BGIQ for short, um, that really allows brands to see in real time how culturally relevant their brand is Um, and we wanted we wanted a product that would enable brand marketers to sort of move beyond like that gut feeling and actually be able to quantify if they are breaking through in culture and this is a proprietary AI powered methodology that's really designed to measure the real time cultural relevance of brands. When we look at giving a brand a Brandgeist IQ score, they're actually assessed on a series of indicators. We look at how plugged into pop culture a brand is, and then there there are a series of questions within each indicator that we look at. um, How disruptive they are in terms of the products they bring to market, but also how they market them whether or not they live with purpose and do they do that authentically how inclusive they are you know in in how they communicate how they present themselves to the world and sort of the look, feel, tone of voice—is it modern and on trend? And each of those indicators gets a unique score, and it's weighted based on its impact to cultural relevance. And then that um, those indicator, those separate indicator scores, combine to give you your overall brand guy score. And you're able to see where your brand is at any moment in time, and you're able to track the impact of certain initiatives on your relevance. For example, if you ran your BGIQ score before, say, a big initiative like a Super Bowl activation, you could see, well, how relevant am I here? How am I doing on each of those indicators? And has that moved or shifted after a big activation like a Super Bowl, you know, brand activation?
1: That's great. I mean, I think we've all been in the rooms, especially those of us who've worked in PR, where it's been like, how are you really proving your value at times, right? Where it feels like there's a dotted line, or especially historically, when media was working a certain way, and that you get at that C-suite table, and you have other members who are tracking product or tracking things and they have these very definitive data and you're trying to sort of, it's like you're going in, you know, with a knife to a gunfight at times, it must feel nice for marketers now to be like, I'm armed with a similar level of technology, a similar level of data that can prove the worth in the same way that you can through other sort of verticals within a company.
2: Oh, absolutely. And and I think also what's great is it allows marketers to see where they need to dial up their activity. So you can look at each of those indicators and, you know, say you're, you're scoring really well on the purpose front. but your score for being modern and on trend is lacking. So you can dial up like how you're showing up on social, how you're showing up, what the tone of voices you're using, you know, is it warm? Is it welcoming? Or does it feel like corporate speak? And it allows brands to really figure out what the white space is to inform their campaign planning and their programming so that they can achieve greater cultural relevance. And so I think as a planning tool, it's highly effective, you know, not only can you look reflectively back on what you've done, but you can think about what you should be doing going forward.
0: Uh, we know you're jet lag, so we do want to let you go and get some rest after being there for so long. but. If for anyone who wasn't there or is really interested in learning more about it, you know, what's one thing you want to leave them with um, as you're wrapping up these great memories of being at this festival and taking home that win with Bud?
2: Every year that that I've gone, it always feels different. Um, You learn something new, you meet somebody new, you experience something new. One of the things this year that was really cool was um, Stagwell had an activation and we put together a sort of first of its kind beach called Sport Beach, which was really designed to celebrate, you know, fandom and this intersection of sport and entertainment and culture. Um, with, with the opportunity for people to engage, you know, not just listen to panels, but to join for a morning run, to do yoga, to play pickleball. We had a full-size pickleball court, to shoot hoops with some of the athletes who were there. And um, we had over 5,000 people who came through Sport Beach while it was up during the festival. We had, I believe, more than a uh, 45 different high-profile athletes who were on panels. We, you know, entertained clients and and really set the bar high for, you know, showing up differently. And so I thought that was one of uh, the high points of CAN for me this year.
0: I think if I was there, that would have been one of mine too. That sounds like a beach I'd be on. Thank you, Lisa, so much for joining us. And thank you for listening to the stream. You can listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts.